Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of series 2 of Halcyon Education Podcasts, a podcast that's aimed at supporting you as senior mental health lead. Today's episode is with good friend and colleague John Rees from PSHE Solutions. He talks about the important place PSHE has in a whole school approach to mental health and resilience. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. A mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. Welcome to Housing Education Podcasts. We're on episode nine of series two. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by John Rees, who's from PSHE Solutions. So hi, John. Hi, Anna. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. And we're going to be looking at the new relationship health and sex education curriculum and in the context of mental health. But before we get into that, just tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Okay, thank you, Anna. Um, I would say, I mean, it's lovely to be with you, but also I do listen fairly regularly to the Healthy Education podcast because they are fun and so informative. Like you, I'm an independent consultant, so I spend quite a bit of time, or usually spend quite a bit of time in between schools. I think podcasts like this can be really helpful and informative and helps keep me up to date. My career has fallen, broadly speaking, into three sections. I was initially a slim and curly-haired young PE teacher. That was quite a long time ago, so I spent 12 years teaching in X. I was a member of the senior leadership team in a secondary school. I was then seconded to run the Dead and Healthy Schools programme, but very quickly took over what was then a very small two-school research project looking particularly at sex and relationships education. And that grew to eventually involve a couple of hundred schools, I think, across the country and overseas. And that did, I did that for 12 years. The last 15 years or so, I've been an independent consultant, supporting schools principally around personal social health education and mental health and behaviour and spiritual, moral, social, cultural stuff. So, yeah, a, a rich and, and hugely rewarding career. Fabulous, John. That's amazing. It really has been very, but usually sort of sat within the context of well-being, health, and the importance of that for for young people. Absolutely. I think there's a danger, particularly for secondary school teachers, that we we teach a subject. Primary teachers usually teach children, and that's a historical misnomer, I suppose. But for me, I think there's a danger that we focus so much on a knowledge-rich curriculum. And knowledge, of course, is important. Children can't make informed decisions if they've got inaccurate knowledge. But I think, and not just because of COVID, but looking ahead as to what children will need over the next 20, 30, 50, 70 years, however long they're around to look after us, I think it's more and more important that they don't just have the knowledge to be able to understand what's going on in the world. And knowledge recall is important. But actually, if I forget the 
capital of Alaska, I will Google it. So I think knowledge, of course, has its place. And I, I don't want to get into some sort of false dichotomy about knowledge and skills. But I do think it's important that we recognise that some of the attributes as the DFE guidance for PSAG or RSAG now calls them around self-esteem, about stickability, although they don't quite call it that, but honesty, integrity, courage, all those personal attributes, which are so, so important, are going to help them change careers as they move through, become emotionally resilient in their personal relationships, but resilient, resilient to things that are happening in the economy and to the jobs market. Mm. I do some work with a charity which provides volunteers from industry to come into school, and that's available now virtually. It's less, I think, in primary schools about careers education than it is about aspiration and motivation. Mm. But but so important, I think, for children to recognise the, the world out there. And they're probably not going to go into some of those long-term careers that certainly when I was a child were, were assumed to be there. You go to school, you do well, you go to university, you do well, and, and the world, world falls into place. And life isn't like that. You know, if we've got five-year-olds at the moment who, who would like to become a lorry driver, I'm not sure how many lorry drivers we're going to need in 15 years' time. That The world is changing fast, and I think the economy is going to change out of all recognition, and we need to provide a curriculum that equips and enables children and young people, some of whom are going to live into the 22nd century. Mm. We have no idea what that really looks like, except that change will be a constant. Mm. They're going to have to have resilience to be able to manage that change. And they're going to have to deal with problems that we don't even realise are problems yet. They are going to have to deal with the... Well, we'll still be talking about Brexit, I'm sure. They're going to have to deal with the rise of artificial intelligence. They're going to have to deal with climate change, with population demands on the economy and on resources. But they're also going to have to deal, as I say, with problems that we don't even recognise as problems yet. And, and I think the, the mental health component of the, of the curriculum, at least the ability to go on, to feel comfortable in ourselves, to get on with each other, if that spills into intimate relationships, well, fine. But actually, that's relationships with people in the dinner queue. But large numbers of our children and young people are going to go into customer-facing roles within, within work. And we have to find ways in the curriculum for preparing them for that, just the ability to, to get somebody on the phone or have a conversation with them or to, to manage that interpersonal stuff. It's absolutely mm. crucial. It's mm. important to them, but to the economy. And I'm not sure that we're, we're quite focusing on that enough just yet in education. No, although it's been interesting having visited a few schools and spoken to quite a few just in the last week or two coming back, that a lot of them are focusing on... PSHE, recovery curriculum, resilience. One school I spoke to this morning, they were doing PSHE three times a week when they wouldn't normally, finding the schools a lot calmer and the children have come in really well. I mean, I'm not saying that's necessarily all down to PSHE, but I think previously to schools not being open to all children, I just wonder, I don't know what your thoughts are, whether things will have shifted. Do you think a school might start off with PSHE and doing it three or four times a week and then it being tailed off, it'd be interesting to see what happens. No, I think that's it is. It's a good question. And, and my experience, like yours, has been that schools are focusing on relationships, on mental health, on, on how we get on with each other. I think that's going to be needed, certainly throughout this autumn term and well into the spring term, simply because as people become tired, as the days get shorter, as people get colds and I need you know flu and before they even get near COVID, people become tired and that's when they become fractious. And I think if we're going to create a you know 
positive learning environments where children can flourish and thrive academically, but they can thrive in other aspects of their life, then we need to make sure that that we are kind, we are considerate, still with structure and, and expectations for children, but that we, we're able to manage our emotions, we manage our relationships, and we model that for children so that they can do that the same. And that's true whether they're six or 16. And it's just so important that, that we create that ethos where, where students feel valued and praised and nurtured and supported. I was just thinking for those mental health leads and senior mental health leads that might be listening to the podcasts, I'm a real advocate in all the work that I do as a consultant that, that curriculum forms a massive part of prevention when we think about mental health. And, you know, you've you've described brilliantly the, the the absolute fundamentals of why we need resilient young people because of the change that they're going to have to adapt to not just now but in the future from my perspective i think i was just wondering what mental health leads need to sort of know about the new relationship health and sex education that's now come in as as statutory although there's a little bit of buffer i understand from the dfe have you got any hints or tips or thoughts for our mental health leads when thinking about that aspect of curriculum no that's a really good question that buffer that you talked about says that we should be should have everything ready as from september 2020 understandably because of covid not everybody was able to have those consultations then those meetings with parents to explain that the the new curriculum expectations so really i think sensibly as you alluded to the dfe saying we don't have to have everything nailed down until easter of 2021 the mental health lead and the pshe lead do need to be working closely together mm. um, i suspect the designated lead for mental health tends to work in a more strategic approach and looking at whole school and whole uh, community systems whereas the pshe lead should be far more concerned with planning and pedagogy and and of course both of those people need to be working closely with the designated safeguarding lead because pshe contributes so strongly to to safeguarding and children will be certainly talking about things that that worry them or might impact on their or might come from home and and we need to be alert to that but we also need to make sure that if children do make a disclosure about safeguarding or mental health for themselves or family, then the PSHE teacher and the PSHE lead are working closely with the designated lead for mental health and the, and the DSL for safeguarding. Mm. Mm. So that kind of leadership structure needs to be there. Probably getting down to pedagogy, for some teachers it does become a bit of a head shift to teach about any of the you know, aspects of, of PSHE. So often in teaching, we have the knowledge that we have to get out of our heads and into the pupils, whether that's about long division or column addition or phonics or quadratic equations or oxbow lakes or whatever. But I think rather than seeing our PSHE as filling the empty vessels, we need to be educating in terms of drawing from. So we can create a safe and appropriate learning environment where we have ground rules that are clearly negotiated and, and co-constructed with the pupils that we're not i'm not going to talk about me having said that i think there are some really important times when teachers do need to own that statement so i think racism is wrong i think sexism is wrong i will not allow bullying to happen in my classroom or our school so we need to have that responsibility but actually even you know in primary schools questions about have you ever tried an illegal drug what does it feel like to be drunk then have you got a mental health problem you know somebody actually what i do and haven't done and might have done in the past is is not the point we know that some children when we if we said to children next week we're going to be talking about families some children would be really excited about that and some children would be terrified 
So I think it's absolutely essential that we create this safe and appropriate learning environment where we don't have to talk about our own stuff. So we can talk about an example or a case study. We can hold it up and, and, and explore it from all sorts of different angles mm. so that children can discuss and debate. And as I say, as I say, rather than me telling children what I did 10 or 20 or even longer years ago, we can encourage them to, how could he deal with this? How could she respond to this? What, what if they came from this faith group? What if the parents were saying that? What if it was two boys? So we can explore the issues from all sorts of different places and encourage children to come to their own pro-social, pro-health interpretations of what's happening. So that I think, again, we have to appreciate that PSHE shouldn't be a morally neutral zone. Mm. There are certain values and attitudes, certainly certain behaviours, let's say, around bullying or sex or drug taking, certain behaviours that we wish to steer them towards, and certain values and attitudes and behaviours we'd like to steer them away from. Mm. But we can't do that in a draconian way. We have to do that through, through an exploratory, discursive, coming to an understanding approach yeah. that enables children to make sense of the world. Yeah. And from a pedagogy point of view, of course, with other subjects, as, as you've alluded to, if I don't know something, I can go and find it out. But there's, there's always risks when we think about the subjects within PSHE and RHSE, where they could end up going to the wrong places and finding out information that's not safe for them. Certainly when we don't have the constraints of internet safety that we really need from some of these organisations. I, I really like what you said about the safe learning environment, because I, I wonder if that's, that's just one aspect of why sometimes schools find delivering PSHE lessons hard you know sometimes I've gone in particularly maybe secondaries and there's there's a powerpoint that's gone out from the PSHE lead which is great but then there are some teachers who get it and then there may be some other teachers who don't and they're just literally clicking through the powerpoint and I know this because when I've done a pupil audit and spoken to the pupils and the students they'll say yep that's that's really what the member of staff does and they just click through this powerpoint da -da 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 -da. knowledge 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 and I think that importance of being able to real, really tussle with some moral value-based pedagogy mm. needs a different approach and it definitely needs that safe learning environment. You've done a video on it in the resource section. We can put a link to mm. that. I think it's a, a really great explanation of how we create that safe learning environment so that, yeah, staff don't feel like their own values and morals are being exposed to a way that they're not comfortable Absolutely. I mean, yeah, thank you. I'll happily share that the little Vimeo clip. It's a bit homemade, but, but I think it makes the point. I think, first of all, we need to recognise that staff have to keep that learning environment safe. I'm sure, just as we're talking now, within five miles of where we both sit, there will be girls in science who are frightened to put out their hand because they're concerned about being teased for being a, a boff or a keener or a swat or whatever the local put-down is. And I think if we're going to draw upon the impact that high-quality PSHE and personal development can make, it isn't just about being able to resist, uh, re recite a list of sexually transmitted infections and know whether they are a virus or a bacteria or how many units of alcohol I can or can't drink and, and all those sorts of things. It is about influencing how we talk to each other, how we behave with each other. There's a difference between, for example, no personal questions and no personal comments. So if I say, well, you know, Wenetta's mum, she holds a lovely spliff. No, it's, it's true, she does, she does, really, brilliant. And, or, or if we're saying, you know, honesty in the classroom, um, I don't want to sit next to them because they're fat, ugly, and they smell. It may be true, 
but it's certainly not conducive to you know creating an appropriate learning environment mm. and, and that moderating our managing our emotions moderating our speech thinking about how do we contribute to to sometimes views or, or things that people will be will be vehemently passionate about and, that, and that's a good thing but rather than a lot of curriculum areas dealing with some of the certainties about this is the correct quote for Shakespeare or this is the correct way to work out a formula, some people would be very strongly about eating meat or not. Mm. And, and we have to live with that ambiguity and with those tensions in a complex and ambiguous world. So I think it's really important that, as you say, we create the place where children can discuss, their young people can discuss and debate. We may have to agree to disagree, but we have to manage that in an appropriate way so that we can start to make sense of the world. And I think that is absolutely crucial for resilience and mental, good mental health is knowing yourself and your own values and where your place is in the world and not just taking in other people's opinions and views, you know, without thinking about it and being able to assimilate it to your own self and how you will operate in the world and understanding what your triggers are or what they're not is so important. And I think we underestimate, yes, we can do lessons on mental health and mental illness, yeah, but also contained in that, and what that's what I, I sort of actually really like about the the statutory element of RHSE is is there's a lot more safeguarding kind of information in there about you know when does it feel not right when somebody's saying things or touching me in an inappropriate way. Yes, they've always been there, but that kind of safe relationship is very much there, and I think that's really really important for for good well-being and resilience. It is. I think, interestingly, you know, whenever anybody who's taught about mental health will know there are strong parallels with physical health. Yeah. Last year, I did a first aid at work course, and I felt an extraordinary sense of competence and empowerment. And I, I was poised and ready. If that old lady keels over at the bus, the bus shelter, I'm ready. I'm, I'm stepping into action. Um, whether I did or would have done it, it's relatable. But just that sense of okayness that I think as adults, we sometimes forget just how uncertain young people are. Those of us who still feel concerned about the way we sound, the way we speak, the way we look, the way we present ourselves, the car we drive, all that kind of stuff. We know, particularly during adolescence, it's exacerbated uh, at least tenfold. And those of us who do feel reasonably comfortable in our bodies and our, our, our lives, I think also we, we miss a trick if we're not recognising just how quickly young people's world changes to you and me six months six years goodness me slips past frighteningly quickly six months in some children's lives is a significant chunk of the time they've been on the planet mm. so i think we need to recognize that it's fast changing for young people and their bodies and their thinking and their friendship patterns the things that they're allowed to do now might be quite different than they were six months ago or certainly before lockdown we need to recognise that's fast changing for young people. I think we need to enable them to reflect and discuss and consider, sometimes without necessarily coming to a conclusion. Mm. I've thought about it and that I do feel now that I can discuss that or I can question that and I can question it appropriately. There's a danger I can wave my hands around at this moment. I think this is something really important we talk about in PSHE. There's the vertical threads, the, the threads going up and down, is about the, the content that we provide, discussion around. 
um, sexual health, about relationships, as you say, about mental health. But actually woven through that, the horizontal weave, if you like, would also be things about resilience, about emotional well-being, about managing my emotions. That if I'm talking to somebody about something that I feel quite passionately or, or they get quite agitated and passionate about it, that's fine. But I need to make sure that I manage that for me. And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper Chronologies for pupils, or school-wide reports, can be generated quickly. The ServicePoint support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. A year or so ago, I got into a bit of a spat on Facebook with somebody who wanted, I think they said they wanted seven lessons on smoking. I think they probably meant anti-smoking. And I just said, gently, why do you think your pupils need this? And somebody immediately bounced in and said, because it's in the guidance. And I was gently saying, well, no, actually in the guidance, it says you need to adapt your curriculum to meet the needs of your pupils. So in simple terms, if you're I don't know, if your school is near a railway line, please do more safety about railway lines than about a canal or a busy street. So we do need to look at the local data, um, which we, sometimes we can get from, from health sources, and we will know then about local data. But I think there's also a really important place for that kind of tacit knowledge, that understanding that people have about the community. So as I say, a long time ago when I was teaching, I had some really nice resources about solvent misuse. And it wasn't until I was talking to one of the community police officers who was gently saying, actually, John, we haven't had anybody you know, glue sniffing as it was then for about three years. It was a shame because I like those lessons and I really enjoy teaching the kids seem to enjoy them. But actually, we need to make sure that we adapt our curriculum to meet the needs of our pupils. Mm. So on the one hand, we need to be looking quite long term, continue to evolve and change things. But I think there's a really powerful place for talking to people who live in the community. And many teachers don't for understandable reasons, but perhaps talking to lunchtime assistants or admin staff or parent governors. Most importantly, talking to pupils about is what we're doing okay for you? Um, again, I would use a distancing technique, perhaps talking to pupils maybe in year six or perhaps year 11 or towards the end of a key stage. And just be saying things like, if you had a younger cousin who was starting at this school next term, what are some of the things you know they might need? What are some of the things that we're teaching which, which we do too much of and you feel you don't need so much? What would you like more of? So that we can adapt what we do. And I think this comes back to your earlier question about how the importance of PSHE, particularly as schools open more widely in the midst of COVID or certainly following lockdown. I think we need to be listening to our pupils, to what they say, not just the captain of the football team, the captain of the netball team, um, but you know some of our more vulnerable pupils, some of our reluctant attenders. So we're, we're talking to the pupils, we're listening to them, we're taking feedback on the kind of things that they know are really important to them. So from a mental health point of view, we could teach about what anxiety is, what depression is, clinical diagnoses. And actually, 
I might not have a diagnosis, but I just know that life is really hard at the moment or I'm really struggling. Mm. And interestingly, I think we focus on, on the needs of children and young people as we should. We know that teachers give and give and give and give again to children and young people. I think we need to look after our staff. If we don't focus on staff well-being, um, it becomes incredibly hard to do these things. Things happen in people's lives. Long been ill, the car's broken down. You have to put all that stuff on hold and go in and slap on a smile and strut your stuff and teach you and then go out and... I was going to say buy a bottle of chips, but that's you know there's a mixed metaphor there. We're buying something to, to keep keep somebody happy at home, whatever it might be. We know that some children come in and some staff will come in with such a rucksack full of stuff that they they can't leave that baggage at the door and they will be bowed down by it. And I think if as a, as leaders within school, if we're not taking time to look after ourselves and make sure that we model good mental and physical health for ourselves then then that rubs off on the staff. How we model that stuff for ourselves and for our colleagues, even before we get anywhere near the children, is so important. I would also say that we know as sentient adults that leadership can be a, a lonely place. And good schools who, who have that top-down thank you and well done and congratulations, I think even, you know, I'd be saying to our NQTs or our trainee teachers, when did you last say to your head of department or, or phase leader or whatever it is, thank you for that scheme of work. Thank you for bailing me out with that stroppy parent when they came in. What a lovely assembly. You mm. know, and we say those things, not just a dear all email, because mm. um, that probably doesn't do very much. But even if it's just bringing somebody a chocolate bar, a post-it note that says thank you. Do you want a cup of tea? Uh, do, 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 do I just step out? I can see you're busy. Do you want me to do your break duty? That whole kind of way that we, we as staff support each other is absolutely crucial. Mm. I think that's important through the life course. So, for example, I would say to staff, look, if you've got a 23-year-old who's very happy to do 60 hours a week and run an Easter Booster Club and do a summer residential, good for you. Hang on for them for as long as they last. Well, I suppose given that lifestyle, somebody's chances of finding a partner will be fairly remote. But if they did and they have other things to do at the weekend or they start a family, how are we supporting our colleagues and they're dragging them th themselves in after sleepless nights or teething or whatever it might be? What does that mean for me as a colleague if somebody says it's my child's first nativity? Mm. It's their year six leavers um, assembly. It's their, it's their high school prom. I was in a local secondary school recently and one of the uh, teachers had gone into the department, I think, and said, look, I'm really sorry, but my son wants to go to Leeds University, so I'm going to have to take him there. I'm going to need an afternoon out. And everybody was harumphing and grumbling about cover and so forth. And he said, well, cheer up, mate, because it's Southampton next week. It's the <laughs> afternoon. I will need some water. You know, how are we supporting our older colleagues, you know, who are saying, look, I'd love to be at that meeting at 4.30, but I've got to get across town to my sick parents' care because that's where life is at the moment. Mm. So I think the importance of leadership um, supporting junior staff, but junior staff also supporting up the tree, is, is absolutely essential. And again, where we can model that, where we're getting it right for the staff and between the staff, and therefore we're getting it more right for the children, there's a virtuous spiral that I think we can achieve, which is supportive of staff, which is supportive of pupils. We know that happy, healthier children learn better. So there's a really a, one of the things I don't think we should ignore is the contribution that PSHE can make to attainment and learning. But actually, I think there's some powerful things that we do around recruitment and retention of staff, where that whole school ethos is so, so powerful that we feel valued and praised and challenged and, and you know, with, with um, expectations and so forth. 
but we enable staff and pupils to really thrive in all sorts of ways by being in school, by supporting each other. And, and how we teach about and how we talk about and how we respond to mental health is absolutely crucial. Mm. We know that that's important within PSAG lessons. We need a planned program to respond to things. But also if children come in, you know, in a secondary model, but perhaps people are going to different classrooms, there's no point in, in them coming to your lesson in PSAG and being, you know, emotionally literate and sensitive and warm and, and then coming to my maths lesson and I bully and harangue them and treat them with sarcasm if they get two out of 10 or even if they get or, or two out of 20 or, or even if they get 20 out of 20, how we are as staff with our students mm. is absolutely crucial. Certainly is. And does create that layered approach where we can have senior leaders that are supporting staff in that way, then staff support the students. It's very, it's very challenging, I think, at the moment to get the good SLT wellbeing, certainly just how challenging it is trying to manage parents on return and opening up wider. I think anyone that is feeling stressed and they're listening at the moment just is focusing on what you need and taking that time. Because I think, you know, what happens is we become so overwhelmed and we end up not eating well, we end up not sleeping well, and then it's a vicious cycle. So whilst it might seem twee, right at the moment we can't change things it's an anxious time for everybody and and that's what we're seeing but hanging on to things that really work for you you know i'd love being shouted at in a spin class for 45 minutes for some bizarre reason with loud music and that's what i i love doing and and i have to and i have tried to even just coming back to work is is focusing on those things that really work for me trying to 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 eat well and not get sidelined and whilst I am not taking away from the fact how stressed our SLT are at the moment those are the things that are going to keep you going they are one of the things I was going to mention which I think is really important and contributes strongly to PSHE and mental health is a charity called time to change Mm. they have some lovely free resources mostly for secondary school they can come in and offer free training for ambassadors around mental health but one of their campaigns a year or two ago was, was just about Ask Twice. I love that campaign. I spoke to someone this morning about it. Absolutely love it. Go you on. Do, you do, do and they're saying, particularly as a bloke, so yeah. he says, you're right, so yeah. And then they just they say, are you sure? Really? You? Now, I think, I think then we have to be prepared for that kind of, when, where somebody just kind of really unloads. And if we're simply passing in the corridor at a distance of two metres, of course, Perhaps I need to come back to you and just say, I said, are you okay, Anna? You said, yes. And, you know, really? Things are okay? And if you choose not to unload, that's, that's fine and I will respect that. But I think just for staff, for each other, and of course for children, just to be able to ask twice, which gives us permission just to unload. And, and I'm sure we've all been in a situation where somebody says, you're all right. And they go, kind of, no. And they say, oh, gosh, that sounds awful. I was just wondering if there's anything I can do. And some people say, no, it's okay now. Just just by being able to unload that stuff, whether it's a problem of having with a child, with, a, with the curriculum, with planning, with marking, or, or at home, just knowing that it's okay. Mm. Uh, first of all, it's okay not to be okay. But secondly, it's okay to, to take time to share some of those concerns. Even if I, as the, as the recipient of that, there's nothing that practically I can do. And again, I think there's a danger that, Teachers are fixers. They're fixers of problems. Now, I tell you what you should do. If I was in your situation, actually, mate, you're not. I don't need you to tell me what, what I should and could do and have I thought about this. Simply 
being a listening ear, simply be being, by being emotionally available and, if necessary, being vulnerable, and, and I mean that in a strong sense, to accept the needs of other people. Even if I, I think it's rather footling, you know, I'm really sorry you've lost 14 pence in a purple pencil case. I don't think that's a big deal. But actually, if it's a big deal to you, it, it, I should recognise that. And what, what you don't need, either as a child or as an adult, is me saying, now, now what you should do is... I think there may come a time we need to be sensitive to this, you know, during that conversation where somebody says, have you thought about or do you think it might work if, and, and gently make some suggestions. But I think there's a really important place for us, for us all just to ask twice and to be available to people, simply to enable them to manage their emotions and to become a more emotionally literate community. Absolutely. And it's that overwhelm, isn't it? When we are just full, so full, that we're so overwhelmed, that knowing that someone's got our back, knowing that someone asked us earlier how we were and genuinely meant it was priceless, really, at times. It is. That, that notion of a stress bucket, I think, is a, is a metaphor that a lot of people will come across. And it might just be, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. It might just be that extra little thing that the, that a parent said, that it's something that a child did, that, that, you know, something that's happened at home. And it, it just floods my bucket or tips me over the edge. And I think it's so important. It's absolutely crucial, isn't it, that we, we enable our staff to have that space, whether it's a minute or two just to compose themselves. You know, schools are so busy. I'm just wondering if it's okay to sit and think. Because mm. if you're not racing about with a bundle of papers under your arm, uh, you probably can't now sit in the staff room, I appreciate. But just to allow ourselves some thinking time to prepare what we're going to say or to do is absolutely crucial. And that's a luxury they don't always have. But I think somewhere, as you suggested, in our lives and in the school day, we should allow that for ourselves and for our colleagues. That's absolutely crucial. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you massively for your time today, John. And uh, those who are listening who have listened regularly might recognise your voice. <laughs> you are the voice of the sponsors in the previous podcasts. I never forget when we first met John, I, I think it was over a, a, a webinar or something. It was like a, a team webinar. And I remember just listening to your voice thinking, how are you not doing a radio station <laughs> with a voice like that? So John is the voice of our sponsors, a real valued colleague. I think it is hard when you're working independently I and mean, it's lovely that we have a great connection and we're able to catch up with each other, aren't we, over a few weeks and do value that, John. So thank you for some of the resources you've talked about today. We'll make sure that they're available for schools on the website so that you can access them. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Anna. It's, as always, it's a privilege. But as I said at the start, as people travel to work, listening to a podcast like this, it's unlikely to give them all the answers, even, even without collective wisdom. But I think the really important bit is, as people are listening to something like this, it might trigger thoughts in their head. And we continue to support our colleagues and to continue to work incredibly hard for our children. I, I was reading something over the summer. Education has proved itself to be the fourth emergency service. 100%. And we should be proud of that. But also, uh, we're not out of the woods yet in terms of covid and we therefore need to support each other and continue to do this important work. If some of that results in better SATs or GCSEs, well, I'm pleased, but actually those are not, I think at the moment, our most important things we should be focusing on. It is about relationships, it is about our emotions and how we can manage our emotional well-being, without which all the other things become incredibly difficult to do. Excellent, thanks so much.
In this episode, John has shared some rich ideas and content, thinking about how we can ensure that our PSHE is within context of our whole school community, ensuring safe teaching of PSHE. He's touched on staff well-being. And if you go to Halcyon Education's website, there's lots of links and a free video that he's created so that you can understand a little bit more about creating safety in the classroom. Do take a look. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.